strategies they use to attract that and work on those deals. This is a, oh, Charlie, we got somebody's cell phone here from the last panel. And then, um, yeah, thanks for uh, following the panelists out the doors. I know those of you who are looping around might be hoping to speak with them, but we're gonna be ushering them out in about 10 seconds there. Just be respectful of our next panel. But a constant complaint of family offices is seeing enough deal flow, enough qualified deal flow, enough deal flow related to where the family made their money, enough deal flow that they can act on. And a lot of families, when they get a liquidity event, they start investing in startups until they lose all their money in things that are not well vetted. And they say, oh, maybe we should go a bit later stage or only in the spaces where we made our money or maybe we should trust best in class counterparties and independent sponsors like, like uh, ones who have the model that were just on stage. That's the point of this discussion panel. It comes up in every single family office meeting, direct investments, and how to have a good direct investment program. So I hope everyone gets a lot of value from this. And why don't we start with you, Mitch, and just do a uh, one or two minute intro and let's work our way down. Hi, my name is Mitch Garrett. I'm the VP of development for the Trump Organization. And I also work with uh, family offices that I've met uh, through Richard's conference and others uh, around here on uh, mainly hospitality type projects, um, all the way from hotels to mixed use, um, multifamily, et cetera. Great, Enrique? Enrique Martinez, CEO of Web Capitalist, also a blockchain advisor for different family offices over here. Um, and we specialize in both consulting and development as well. Um, my name is Doug Doan. I um, run a small investment fund called Hivers and Strivers. We invest exclusively in startups run by military veterans especially graduates of the U.S. Service Academies. We do everything from tech companies to CPG companies, uh, like a, uh, we have a coffee company called Black Rifle Coffee. We'll do anything in the middle um, as long as it's led by a military vet. That's great. Uh, my name is Sarah Cohn, and I'm the managing partner of Social Impact Capital. Uh, we're a venture capital fund that does early stage venture capital, um, basically anything that has a social impact and we think can produce venture capital returns, um, we will invest in. Hi, I'm Tom Watts. I'm with Watts Wealth Capital. He's turning, he's turning it up for you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I'm Tom Watts with Watts Capital. Great. I'm Tom Watts with Watts Capital. We are, we're an RIA. We were originally formed to manage funds for, for my family. We've branched out and do wealth management more broadly for high net worth individuals. And we've um, managed two funds. One is a uh, real estate fund and, and multifamily housing. And the other one where I'm particularly active and is uh, aligned with my background is Radius Capital, which does uh, venture and private equity and communications related opportunities. And I'll talk about that mostly. Great, awesome. Yeah, and one of my favorite quotes from uh, one of this fall's event in New York was when people were debating about the definition of uh, impact investing, and Sarah said, well, while you debate about what it means, we're getting meaningful stuff done in the real world. So I thought that was a, a great comment. <laughs> uh, in the investment industry, a lot of terms get thrown around and people worry about it too much sometimes. Um, I first want to start in unusual ways that you have originated deals in the past that you could share with the audience, maybe they could learn from that strategy that you've kind of stumbled on? Sure, I'll take it. Um, you know, especially, I have one golden rule is for my own is add, leave the world with more value than, than when you started it with. And, and I think, you know, as it relates to where, who created us, we were given two ears and one mouth in that ratio uh, for that reason. So, you know, listening and understanding what clients are, are looking for. One, one specific example of a unique way is 
Um, for instance, I met through Richard's conference here a gentleman named Gunter. Uh, and, you know, Gunter specializes in uh, multifamily and, and whatnot, so, I, you know, we didn't really have much crossover, but, uh, you know, over the years of developing a relationship with him and time and time again and sharing information and whatnot, and so he introduced me just recently to a, a group that uh, was on stage here as well that uh, was putting together a hotel project. So, you know, always just adding value and, and coming to these conferences repetitively will unlock a deal at some point, will unlock an investor at some point. Um, and as the guy mentioned, you know, earlier on stage, you know, you have to get to that, uh, that, that beer test, and that only happens through repetitive uh, nature. I think if, if somebody works for the Trump organization and has that level of exposure, finds value in coming here over and over again, then uh, I find that as a huge compliment, because I think that part of the challenge is participants coming to meet people like yourself and having the longevity of trying over and over again to develop a real relationship like Gunter has, so I'm glad you you gave that example and the value from your perspective is, is helpful. Thanks. So I'll, I'll give that a try. Um, our little world of military guys is very hyper-connected. You have to think of us as uh, people that have been marrying our cousins inside the um, Appalachian Mountains for the last 15 years. We're all connected in a very, very wired way. So my strangest was uh, young two West Point um, grads called from Kandahar province in Afghanistan saying there's a real problem, they can't, all the AIDs going down the drain. They had this idea. They wanted to grow and process saffron spice in Afghanistan and export it out through the Taliban controlled stuff. So what could go wrong with that, right? Uh, <laughs> we invested in them. We invested in them. Uh, a year later, they were doing over a million dollars and profitable and we were employing um, more than 2,500 women, or we are the largest private employer of, of women in Afghanistan in the world. So that's the power of what entrepreneurs can do if you, if you back them. Wow, that's a good story. Anyone else want to answer the question? Yeah, for, for my fund, we've spent a long time building an extensive advisory board that it tends to originate deals. So almost for the past 15 years, whenever there would be an interesting deal, I would figure out where it came from and I would find the first person that I thought could originate that. So for example, we have like George Church on our advisory board who's a professor at Harvard um, and he gets us the deals from his lab at MIT and Harvard. And then we have, you know, Peter Thiel on the board who's connected to all these people. And we have, um, you know, we have a woman in Africa um, in, a, in a venture capital fund who gets us there. So we have about 30 to 35 relationships now and I'm continually, continuously recruiting and pruning these deal sources. But most of them have come from just seeing deals that we missed and then going back and figuring out why we missed that. So every deal you miss, you sort of audit why that happened and you build your network accordingly. I'm sure there's at least one person in the room here who is wondering how you get Peter Thiel to be on your board. I don't know if you can share that story or a, a similar story of how that happened. It's actually a pretty funny story because he reached out to me um, in, on Facebook actually and just said, would you like to come over to my house for breakfast? And I was like, well, I don't think you're going to sexually harass me, so I will. <laughs> Normally I'd say no, but I did. And from there, it actually really just started a, a friendship. Um, and that was around that time was when I was starting up Social Impact Capital. So I asked him if he would, and he said yes. That's awesome. Yeah, Grant, Grant Cardone said that everywhere he goes, people say, no, you can't find people. We can't find our clients on social media. And I always love to tell a story of how we had the founder um, of a very popular video game you guys would all know who sold for $2.3 billion, and he came in with his baby stroller and showed me the Facebook ad 
uh, and said, wow, how did you do this? I'm a tech nerd, and somehow you targeted me walking by with my kids on vacation. So for sure, all these people are on Facebook, on LinkedIn, yeah. and can be reached that way. Twitter yeah. and Twitter and Facebook. I'm very prolific on Twitter and Facebook, and they've been great um, ways to network. Sure. Um, great. I'll probably say that, that the title of this panel is, should be a little bit different. Instead of joining normal, I think that we're actually joining data. I think that there's so much data out there and so you know many new fads and technology and things that pop up. I'm actually in one of them, right, in the cryptocurrency world. Um, some believers, some don't. My original background is in intelligence, so the way that we used to approach when I was in intelligence at that time, it was exactly the same way that I approach it right now. You know, values, goals, and achievements. So in terms of values, goals, and achievements, over here right now, what I will urge family offices is, what is what you guys are good at? And it's exactly the same, I know to some extent I'm preaching to the choir, but it's exactly the same way of, if, you know, what is what makes your family office keep, you know, good and keep making more wealth? So, and if that has nothing to do with blockchain or crypto, or there's no way to add blockchain or crypto to make your investment better, don't go into that, right? Because there are more chances that you're going to be losing money instead of making money. So, to some extent, I will urge everybody, you know, get a little bit away from all the noise and all the uh, drowning of in data that we have, and then try to make value of what you guys are, your expertise inside your family office. Right, I think Warren Buffett says that it's a good year if you can make one or maybe two investments per year. And sometimes he's better off making none. And uh, obviously has a good track record. I think, Tom, you had a story? Yeah, well, I would just say that we tend to be very uh, research intensive. We typically will pick a theme, at least look for a leading company in that area, then dig down and find out who are all the players, who are their advisors, who is their, their, their technical consultants, and try to talk to as many of those people as possible. We have a research team in India that digs, in, digs into a lot of that stuff. And then there's nothing that replaces just going out. And you know, yesterday I was talking to someone in Alaska who's looking at certain spectrum assignments. It actually led to a, bit, um, a very, very interesting opportunity. Someone we wouldn't have found, but through two or three levels of uh, connection, um, um, who wouldn't have been on the radar otherwise. Right, right, right. that makes sense. I mean, uh, I think what you said, doing things systematically and based on research is a really smart way for families to go when they're thinking that they're not seeing enough deals in their space. We talked about that a bit earlier today as well. Anyone have a question for the panelists uh, right off the bat here that you'd like to ask? Okay, then um, how do you source your absolute best deals, your highest quality deals that come to you? Uh, who, what type of person is sending you those? A CPA, an attorney, uh, current clients? past investors that you've co-invested with? I've, and especially in the commercial real estate space, or maybe even at large the real estate world, it's such a, uh, a close-knit community of person-to-person -person relationships that it's, you know, uh, and God bless all the, the people out there that are putting technology to use to, to make it a, um, an approachable investment for the general public, but by the time that it, it's seen or been through that vetting process, most of the you know, the, the really powerful people of real estate have probably already seen the deal. So having that network of relationships is really all you're going to only get the off-market or the, the true, you know, uh, home run type deals. Um, because by the time it, it's hit the general market, it's been already passed by uh, a lot of major family offices. Sure. Um, I'll take a crack at that. Um, well, again, my world, the military world, we're, we're kind of the only game in town for young military vets that are um, getting out. But we're a bunch of dumb army guys that started this, so we don't have the, a whole 
problem with deal flow. What, what we look for is a little something different in our entrepreneurs. I, I know there was a guy not long ago looking uh, how to look for unicorns, right? And for Army guys, we, we don't understand unicorns. That's a mythical beast that we don't spend any time looking for it. But we do have a better understanding as what is more valuable for that. And, and our preferred thing is not a unicorn, but a woodpecker. Because wood, we like woodpeckers to get up at 4 in the morning and just are methodical and just are relentless. So going after that one thing that they're trying to do and are relentless in, in trying to achieve their goal. So when we look for a woodpecker, you kind of look for different skills rather than the kind of myth, mythical beast that's going to suddenly appear and make your life happy. We don't, we don't believe in those guys. Sure. And then, Doug, I was also going to ask you about uh, valuation of companies you find. You might find people at the creation stage, maybe just as their ideas getting out in the real world. How do you put a value on those companies? So uh, our guys uh, tend to be, we're, it's pretty a humble world, you know, and we're not from Silicon Valley. There's not these uh, gigantic uh, valuations. So when we get involved, I mean, we get involved. We are hooked to, the, to these entrepreneurs. We're on the board. We are passionate about them. We care about them. We're going to follow them through their whole lives. So this is not something that's timid, man. This is an all-in thing. So the valuation, eh, we kind of get it close, and then, and then it's jump out the airplane with these guys and, and, and um, look for the best. Sure. In, in our case, we try to just try to find the valuation of the team. We rarely, I mean, since we're in, in so early stage uh, with blockchain technology and companies trying to do STOs, security token offerings, and things like that, uh, sometimes the team doesn't have the $20 million in their pockets already or they don't have the track history, but uh, what we try to find, and I'm sure one of the family officers that, that I'm working with, uh, the Soriano family, they have a long history in the hospitality industry. So when they approach us in terms of they're trying to combine hotels with restaurants and transportation and things like that using blockchain technology, um, at the end of the day, it comes down to, is this the right person to execute this kind of vision and, and, and this idea, right? So um, we are not that much in the valuation, monetary valuation of the company. We're more, a lot more, in trying to figure out if this is the right person for this specific uh, new venture that, that they're trying to do. Great. And, Tom. And I would say we, we try to look in opportunities where we can bring something specific of value that, that the management team needs but hasn't, doesn't have a source for yet. You know, it, it may be as simple as building a complex financial model, but more often it's bringing in a resource, uh, whether it's a, a certain type of technical consultant or recently we were focused on uh, bringing in a supply chain optimization person and actually funding that person specifically uh, to, um, to work out some supply chain issues for a client. Right, I think it's a great point. And depending on what industry you're in and what your background is, you might find one or two areas that consistently people need that type of strategic help. And then you can be providing that and wearing it on the sleeve so that they see how you're helpful before you even get into the talks of valuation or you know, how much you'd be investing, et cetera, I found. Was there, yeah, sorry. for valuation, we do a lot of, um, well, I mean, our view is that there's a truth. Um, there's a number that best aligns both parties. You know, as a venture investor, I need to make at least a 10x. And obviously, we want, we also want the entrepreneur to own as much of the company as possible so they stay motivated. So we do extensive financial modeling even from the very beginning. Um, and sort of work out all the possibilities of what's likely to happen. I look at horror w uh, of the venture capital firms that use like an associate to do, you know, a few years out of college to do their 
financial modeling, we have someone that has a PhD in applied math, um, and we really just have looked at all the scenarios, and so when it comes time to do the negotiation, it's really easy because we're talking about actual data with the entrepreneur and trying to align the incentives of everyone. Great, and then uh, maybe we can start with you, Tom, and just work down the line of just the one thing that you would like to receive from the audience more than anything else in terms of the type of deal, type of investment opportunity, type of connection um, on the deal side so that maybe three to five people here might be able to, to send that over. Sure. I'd say right now, we typically are looking for um, companies who are EBITDA positive or will turn EBITDA positive with our investment, and they're companies that benefit from communications technology and in particular looking at the edges of the net, which means at the very end, for example, we invested in an AI, a company that does artificial intelligence, software-defined kits and mobile devices. We have somebody else, another one who's doing broadband communications in rural areas. So things that are out, out at the end, certainly that brings in lots of Internet of Things uh, opportunities as well. Great. So we're looking for early-stage social impact venture capital. Um, we're tar we know we have to target at least a 10x return minimum, so we're looking for things that can really scale fast um, and have good fundamental, um, you know, fundamental numbers underlying it. Um, other than that, we just want an argument by the, the founder and the entrepreneur about why this company is going to make the world a better place as an inherent part of its business. And uh, Sarah, do you use like the UN initiatives to kind of get things put into buckets, or do you have your own four kind of categories you sort things in, or do you not worry about that? Yeah, we don't, we don't really worry about categories at all. I mean, it's hard enough to, ha to produce such huge returns and have a social impact. So right. we more look to the entrepreneurs to present the idea from us rather than being like, oh, we only want early you know, ed tech that deals that are in North Dakota and et cetera. Sure. So um, our situation, we, I think we have the, all the deal flow we need and want um, and because it's unique to us and it's something special to us. Our challenge is because we're so focused on our entrepreneur and we believe passionately that they are the most likely to succeed, but they're also the least likely to be funded. So if you're a graduate of West Point or Annapolis or Coast Guard or Air Force Academy, you're, you're less likely to get your startup funded than is a graduate from Slippery Rock. Now, there's nothing wrong with Slippery Rock, or maybe with somebody graduated from Slippery Rock, but, but these are very different experiences that you have. So our challenge, we can get in very easily. We'll even do the second round when we see how, really hyper growth. Our challenge, and my whole desire of being here, is how do we find those partners that bring value that when we start running out of gas? Because we're a bunch of Army guys. You know, we don't know much food, for example. If you're in the Army, a great meal is cooked in 10 minutes and eaten in five. You know, so we're not the right guys to take a food company to the, to the next level. We got three of them, right? We got three food companies. So we're looking for partners um, that, that can bring that value to us. The second thing we're looking for, frankly, is um, the, on the um, family office stuff is investors that want to be part of something so that we're not always sucking our own exhaust and that we bring, re, bring knowledge that we don't have. So that's, that's our big need. Sure. Just so happened that there are two Army guys sitting next to each other over here. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, in, in, in our company, we are just looking for just obsessive passion. If, if that person doesn't have, and obviously, you know, trying to solve a big, very big problem uh, worldwide. So if, if that person doesn't come with a very big idea and doesn't have the passion, forget it. I mean, I, we're not going to even invest too much of our time with, with that person, regarded, you know, forget about money as well. But that's typically what we're looking for. 
Okay. And Mitch, what about you, geography and kind of, uh, you know, asset type or land type? Sure. I think one thing to highlight would be great for this panel would be um, for everybody here to be aware of the Opportunity Zone program that's, that's been out there right now. There's a, there's a significant tax benefit um, for anybody that has a capital gain over, over the past uh, year or so. Um, so obviously projects that, that are in the Opportunity Zones, geographically speaking, would be great. And then, you know, for my focus is always on, on hotels, so anything hotel-related, I'm happy to, to speak to you and, and add value wherever I can. Could I just say something on sure. that? Because it's been talked about the, the uh, opportunity zones, but there's also a qualified small business. So that's investing in small companies. Now there's some things that the IRS determines, but 100% uh, uh, of your capital gains up to $10 million are not taxed. We just sold the company our first over $150 million bucks, and that becomes meaningful if you're not paying tax on your first uh, $10 million per investor. So it doesn't matter where the company is. So it's a great, it's a great um, deal, and um, we're taking big-time advantage of it. Sure. Great. Any questions from the audience? Yes. So the question was, uh, where do you source the deals, uh, what type of deals, and what types of returns? Right? So they come to us because, again, we're the only game in town for the most part, and this isn't widely known yet. I hope it gets known. Um, the money that we invest is all of our own. We're writing personal checks. We do have a small fund that we've raised um, that's only $5 million bucks, so it's not a whole lot. But then we're first money in. Our returns now, uh, we've had some, several great um, exits, so we'll our plan is to return all the capital of our fund that we raised last year. We're around we're a 45% return. Again, that's not becoming, I mean, I'm the least likely uh, fund manager in the world, but, but we really have incredible young men and women, and these, the post-9-11 generation that decided to go and serve in the military, and particularly go to the academies, they are an extraordinary group of people that Americans don't yet fully grasp how magnificent these young men and women are. So we're, we're making a good business with them, and we're the only funding source in town for them right now. Yes. The question was for Sarah to get that 10 times yeah, return. The, the life of our fund is 10 years. So, I mean, our target usually is five years to hold. Um, we definitely don't like exiting, you know, after, like, you know, two years or so because we haven't maximized the value of that investment, although it happens sometimes. Um, but, but our, yeah, we usually tar target around f you know, five to seven years. Great. Uh, Melissa? So the question yes. was about examples of deals that she's funded. That's my favorite question. <laughs> yeah. um, so we founded an education company called Andela um, that gives people in Africa a free technology education and then connects them with remote computer programming jobs at companies like Facebook and Microsoft and pays back the education by charging them 17% of their salary for two years. Um, so it's been a great example of something that's been able to have a social impact and um, be a good business. Uh, we also have, for example, Advano, which is a, uh, a silicon drop-in to the anode of lithium-ion batteries that can increase the, the, the capacity of the battery by about 20 to 30%. And if you re-engineer the battery to take better care of it, it can, it can get up to about two to, 
uh, sorry, two to four X um, capacity. So that's an investment that's about the building a clean tech infrastructure where battery technology is the limiting factor. Um, those are two examples. We're also investors in Open Invest, which is a fintech platform for making ESG, custom ESG portfolios, um, where you can track the S&P 500, but it, only in investments that are based on your values. So I could go on all day, but you can check them all out at our website, social-impact-capital.com. Great. Thank you, Sarah. Yes. It sounds like he has a, a project for a waste uh, management, like treatment technology uh, project, and is wondering if that is something that's relevant for. Yeah, it doesn't immediately strike me as something that is, is a venture capital deal. It sounds like a pretty short um, ROI, and I'm assuming that it has a re it's relatively expensive in terms of the capex. Yeah, I mean, probably just um, if you send me the pitch at sarah at impcapital.com, I can get back to you um, about what we think about it. Sure. Any other questions? Yes. We are, yeah. We invest all over the world. Like the company I mentioned at first was in Africa. In we are set up to invest all over the world. In practice, um, we're like pretty uncomfortable doing it and we want something to that looks a lot like a Silicon Valley you know tech startup and sort of has that same DNA of a, of a Silicon Valley tech startup but it's our philosophy that they will start to be found all over the world um, so I very much hope you know look at all the deals all over the world any other questions for uh, someone else and Sarah here on the panel uh, I wanted to go down the line and talk about a little bit like stru structures, uh, what structures you usually use uh, while structuring your investments or placing investments. And that could be strategic structures like co-investment, club deal, or it could be, you know, using a GP, LP model or a traditional fund model. Uh, Tom, you want to share a little bit on that? Sure. Um, I mean, we, we have a GP, LP model for our fund. Um, we've actually given uh, special rights to certain investors to, uh, to cherry pick deals. So they're also depending on so there are a few of the early investors that effectively have a pledge fund type capability in terms of our in terms of our investments and we've done that because we wanted to bring executives with spatial capability and who were interested only in investing in, the, in a certain slice and I'd say our typical structure is going to be convertible debt or convertible preferred. Okay. And so sometimes I'd say in our LOIs we've made it contingent on certain things, particularly if if debt financing is is, is a critical part of it. Um, it'll be contingent right. on that, and we'll work with them on the debt raise. Okay, great. Sarah? 
Yeah, I actually have a lot of thoughts about this, so I'll have to keep it brief. But when we started Social Impact Capital, we had both a direct investing model for family offices that wanted to do direct investing. And then alongside that, I ran um, a prototype fund that was you know, modeled a more traditional fund. At the end of three years, I just thought that the fund model way, you know, it just served the family offices much, much better than the direct investing model for a wide variety of reasons. So um, we, we actually, we keep, we've, we're, we're still running the direct investing model, but it's very much, um, you know, the fund is what we're really focused on um, for a while. And we don't do, we tend to not do any co-investments. And what I really see, especially in the venture capital space, is that there's a whole like kind of sector of GPs that basically say, we'll invest in your fund um, if you give us co-investment opportunities. And what ends up sort of happening is that the venture capitalists pass them the worst investment opportunities and they don't really notice. <laughs> um, because what happens in our deals is that they, you know, by the, by, by the later stages, they're really hot and we want, we really just want the biggest, most prestigious venture capitalist that's gonna add the most value in building this company. Um, in the deal, we tend to not want the you know family office co-investors because they t they tend not to know how to you know help grow these companies and they're not really active helping investors. Great, and then Doug, I know you have a um, a fund, and I would guess you go direct. Uh, how do you how do you do the direct deals into the companies? So we do it both ways. We have I have a group of angels, but we have a fund. We put the money together. Our average throws 250k. We always put a guy on the board. That person on the board is usually somebody that knows the most about that particular industry. So if it's tech, um, the guy that built Amazon is a West Point guy named Rick Dalzell, my college roommate. So we could, he's going to be on the board. Or if it's a healthcare company, we've got another guy that ran Cardinal Healthcare that's a Navy Academy guy. It's going to be him. So we, we cherry pick guys that are most likely and able to help that company, and then we put them on the board. Sure. Makes sense. Ricky? No, because it's exact. It is exactly the same. We have a, a group of angel investors that are, for the most part, they are their background is in cryptocurrencies or blockchain technology, and then what we do, we just sort out from all the different uh, opportunities that we receive. We sort out five or ten, and then we, all of us get together. We discuss which one we sh uh, we're going to invest, typically between five hundred to one million dollars, and then we take it from there. Obviously, the person that brings the opportunity, if that person doesn't have deep expertise in that specific industry, then we just try to find one of our you know, partners inside the uh, angel investment group that then has that expertise and then we move forward. Great, Mitch? Uh, sure, in the hospitality space right now, leverage uh, on the senior side is looking at 55 to 65% loan to cost. Um, so you're obviously gonna be stuck with either a 40 odd percent equity check or you're gonna deal with some mez. Um, in there. Um, however, one, or there's PACE financing that I, I mentioned before is another kind of form of MES. Um, but one interesting structure that I've recently found as it relates to opportunity zones is um, when you layer an opportunity zone project with somebody or, or something else like a, a historic tax credit or some of these other tax credits, um, one really unique structure I found was doing a full 100% equity deal essentially. So you, you layer on all these tax credits that may add up to 30 or maybe even 40% of the deal and you do a 60% senior almost loan but it has to be actual equity for the opportunity zone to work. Um, so it's a 100% equity deal but then the benefit of the program is that after three years you're allowed to, to refinance and so that opportunity zone investor essentially could be basis free after three years instead of having to wait for 10 years. So it's kind of a neat structure. Hmm. Yeah, I hadn't heard that before. 
Uh, we're going to wrap up the panel, but did one of you have a quick comment you really wanted to get across today and it didn't get a chance to get to all the questions? Yeah, I got one. I'm, sure. uh, look, you know, I've heard for the last two days, you know, uh, really smart guys talk about risk arbitrage and warrants and all this stuff. It, look, at the end of the day, I guess the important part for our panel is an investment is, is, a, is a real pledge to a real cause with a person behind it. And you, you can literally change somebody's life, and you can literally be, get part, part of the, become part of that story. And I, I, if it's not one of our deals because we're a little quirky or Sarah's, you should have something that's alive in your portfolio. So when you go to a cocktail party, I'm telling you all my LPs, when they go to cocktail parties, they're not talking about warrants and risk arbitrage. They're talking about the people that we're, we've got that are doing amazing things, and you can be part of that. And these are people that are changing the world. They're extraordinary. So if you don't have some of this in your portfolio, Man, you're missing something. Be, be alive and, and get some of it and pick and choose what you want. But th this is the stuff that's really going to um, give you the best possible uh, return you can get. Great. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Let's give our panelists a big round of applause. Good to see you. Thank you. We'll have the panelists exit out this way and please allow them to get through the doors before you try to shake their hands. Next up, we're opening Mark uh, from Diotic. He's going to give a standalone presentation. And then we have several more uh, discussion panels uh, after him. And then we will be 